afternoon is going to be one of the very few afternoons that we're not going to have translation. Uh, for Chinese New Year, we, we know that many of our brothers and sisters, we pray for them that they're back home with their families. And so this is one of the very few um, times that we gather that we're not going to have translation for the sermon. Okay, But uh, usually we always try to have translation for the sermon because we want to be a bilingual church to see all people reached with the gospel. All right, so uh, we want to also remind you guys that as a church, our mission is to see every single person know, love, and follow after Jesus. Every single person know, love, and follow after Jesus. And so whether you're visiting maybe just for a couple days or you're here visiting family, we're glad that you've chosen to worship here with us together. We've actually been going through the Gospel of Mark, and so if you have your Bibles, um, it'll be up here on the screen as well. We're going to be in the, the book of Mark, chapter 1. And we're going to be covering uh, just, a, just a couple of verses, verses 21 through 38. 21 through 38. Man, I, I want to just say thank you again to the, the, the worship team. It's a really powerful morning of worship for me. Um, just declaring over and over again the worthiness of Jesus. Worthy is His name. Exalted high above all of the names in the heavens. And I think it's very fitting that that was the worship that God prepared for us this morning because the text that we're going to be in as we gather this afternoon is all about the authority of Christ. And Mark is going to give us three examples and three clear pictures of what Christ's authority looks like and what it is. And so I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask us, is what does it mean for you and for I in our lives, maybe in our families, in our marriages, what does it mean that Christ has all authority on heaven and on earth? You know, at the end of Christ's mission, and when he's ministering on earth, he sent his disciples out and he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. What does that mean for you? What does it mean for me as God has called us to make disciples? Not only that, but for us as disciples of Jesus, I want to ask this question is, you know, what does spiritual authority actually look like in our lives? I think the, the first time that I really ever understood authority was when I turned 16. And in America, when you turn 16, you get this thing called a driver's license. Uh, my kids growing up in Taiwan, they're a little bit sad because uh, they know when they turn 16, they don't get a driver's license here. You have to wait until you're 18. But in America, you get a driver's license when you're 16. And so what that means is, man, every time I got behind this car, this machine, I had the authority to drive it. And if someone came to me and they said, you know what, Colin, um, what are you doing driving this car? I would just whip out my driver's license, and here it is. I have authority to operate this car, um, sometimes a little too fast, but either way, I have the authority to drive this. And, and when we look at the book of Mark, Mark is going to make very clear what the authority of Christ looks like and what it means for you and for me. And so there's three things that Mark is going to show us this afternoon. He says, number one, Christ's message has authority. The gospel has authority. Number two, Jesus has authority over demons, which is going to be the heavens, right? All authority on the heavens. He has authority over demons. And then number three, he says that Jesus has authority over our bodies to heal, which is on earth, heaven and on earth. And so if you have your Bibles or you want to read on the screen, let's stand for the reading of God's word. And we read this together if this is your first time here. Uh, the reason we stand, I don't know if we've ever said this, but we stand because we believe that we sit under the word of God. And it has authority over our lives. And so let's read this together. One, two, three. They went into Capernaum. Right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath 
and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not like the scribes. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, well, the unclean spirit, threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. They were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Let's pray together before we sit down. Father, we thank you for your word. Spirit, we thank you that you speak through your word. God, we are expecting to hear. As we open up your word, every time we open up your word, you speak. We thank you that your word has power. And Lord, as we look at what you say this afternoon, we believe that a word from Jesus changes everything. Changes everything. So would you do that again? I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing and acceptable to you. My Lord, my rock, my redeemer. We love you. In this name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. All right, so the, the authority of Christ. Mark starts off in verse 21. It says this, They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. The last couple of weeks, we've seen how Jesus has, has come on the scene. And, and last week, we saw that Jesus came and he said, The kingdom of God is here. The rule of God, the power of God is here. Repent and believe in the good news of the kingdom. And we said the first thing that Jesus did after he preaches this declaration is he calls disciples. And so what that showed us is that the way the kingdom is advancing is through disciples who make disciples who obey the commands of Jesus. And then Mark goes on to say that after Jesus announces the, the rule of God and the kingdom of God, he calls disciples to himself. It says that he entered into Capernaum and it's just began to teach. He didn't put on a show. He didn't throw a big crusade. He didn't walk into the synagogue and start pow, 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 healing everybody. He began to teach. And what I think is amazing about what Jesus does here, what Mark is trying to show us, is Mark is saying that the message of Jesus, the gospel, has power and it has authority. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, that Jesus walks into this synagogue and begins to teach. And what I think is amazing is, is Mark describes the reaction of the, the crowd that's in the synagogue. It says that he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Some of your versions you might have that he was teaching like one who has authority but not like some of the experts. You see, the scribes were these guys who were meant to be the experts on the law. They were given the responsibility to declare to the people all of God's commands and teaching them what it was supposed to be like and how it was supposed to be lived out. And what Mark is saying is that Jesus comes in, and this is a, a normal maybe Sunday gathering or Saturday gathering at the synagogue, and they're sitting there, and Jesus walks in, and he's beginning to teach. It's like, wait a second. Like the, the words that he's saying, the way that he's saying, it's beginning to cut to my heart. 
And, and they said that they were astonished. And that word astonished means that they were shell-shocked. That, that this is before any demon manifested, any healings took place. They were shell-shocked at the words that Jesus was saying and how he was saying them. And as I read this, I was just a little bit convicted because what I feel like the Lord is saying through this, he says that there is a way to be an expert about something but have no authority at all. That I feel like sometimes, especially in Christianity, it's like we, we believe and we think that if we have all the right knowledge and we have the certain degrees and we have checked all the right boxes, that that gives us authority to speak on something. But Jesus, what he shows us here and as we continue through the chapter, he's going to show us that spiritual authority comes out of our union with Christ and not just out of mere imitation of Christ. If you go on through the chapter, it says that Mark is describing how Jesus has had this really successful crusade. He's healing people. People have been exercised of demons, and everything's going well, and the disciples are, are, are trying to find Jesus. And it says, everybody's looking for you. And it says they found him, and he was alone praying with the Father. And what Jesus is showing us is the same thing that he tells us in John chapter 15, that you can do nothing apart from me. You can do nothing apart from me. That spiritual authority, it flows out of our union with Christ and not just mere imitation of Christ. That if you and I want to walk in authority and you want to walk in the authority that Christ gives us, it's going to come from relationship with Jesus and spending time with Jesus. And so Mark says that when Jesus began to teach, they were shell-shocked. They were um, astonished because he was teaching with authority and not like the scribes. Now, I'm not sure what Jesus taught in the synagogue at this time. We're not sure what, what sermon he had or what message he preached. I think that probably he was preaching something like he just preached in the verses previous. The kingdom of God has come. The time is fulfilled. That everything that God has promised, all of his prophecies, all of his promises, they are being fulfilled in my life and in my ministry. Repent and believe. And what I think Jesus does here is, is so beautiful. I think it teaches us something. That Jesus comes to the prevailing worldview of the day, and he begins to confront it with the gospel. He begins to teach how the gospel, the message of the gospel, has power to confront these worldviews and confront these beliefs that people were believing. And so what Mark begins to show us through Jesus' teaching is he wants us to see that the gospel is what theologians call a working word. A working word. It's, it's a word that actually transforms and it begins to, to, to change people's life. If, if you go to Colossians chapter 1, Paul is writing to a church that has just received Jesus and put faith in Christ. And he says this in Colossians chapter 1 verse 5. He says, you've already heard about this hope, the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. And it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. That this gospel, this message is not just like the news that we hear at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock. It's not fake news, but it's a message. It's a working word that transforms and that changes. And so Jesus comes into the synagogue and he begins to confront this legalistic Judaism that people were bound to. And so I thought, man, as disciples of Jesus, as I read this, I thought, what are some of the prevailing worldviews that you and I come into contact with, maybe here in Taiwan or wherever you're from, that we need to see confronted by the message of the gospel. And so I thought of a couple, and I'm sure there's some that you're going to think of that I have not thought of. But number one, something that you hear, probably I've heard on a frequent basis here in Taiwan, is all religions are the same. All religions are the same. 
um, as long as they teach you to be a good person. I mean, that's what I hear a lot. It's like, well, if Jesus teaches you how to be a better person, it's fine. And guys, that's an opportunity for us to, to preach this transforming, powerful message of the gospel, to talk about how the exclusive grace of God is only given in Jesus, that he is the only way to the Father, that he's the only way that we have a relationship with the Father. That's one worldview that we need to be confronting with this working word. The second thing that I hear a lot is, I'm a good person, and I don't need to be saved, right? Like, there's no need for Jesus to die for me. There's no reason for God's wrath to be on me. And that's a prevailing worldview that we need to be confronting with the powerful message of the gospel. Number three, in, in Taiwan especially, um, I don't know if you guys were, were here over the past couple days, but if you were in Linko, did anybody try to drive around Linko yesterday? All right, Rich, Jason. If you drove around this area, kind of back here, you're going to see that there was traffic, like, for miles. Streets were backed up, motos were parked on the side, because all these people were trying to get to this massive temple that's right behind us. It's the temple of Guanyin, so it's Guanyin Miao. And people go there. Some people go there as tradition. It's just what we do on New Year's Day. You know, in America, we might go for a hike. People go to the temple. But some people go there because they believe in order to be blessed by the gods, they have to do these certain things, and they have to worship, and they have to give, and they have to buy-buy, because if they don't do that, then they will not be blessed, and they will not have the favor of the gods. So they do this out of fear. And so obviously that, that is a direct like opposite of the gospel, where the gospel says that because Jesus is the perfect Son of God, that in faith, by faith in Jesus, He's given us everything. There's nothing else we can do. He's met every standard, he's checked every box, and through faith he gives it to us. And that's a direct, I think, way that we can challenge that worldview. And then finally, the fourth one, really quickly, is uh, Christianity is a Western religion. I mean, I've heard that in America, that, well, it's just a white man's religion, and it's simply not true. And there's a lot of resources out there that talk about how Christianity, I mean, if you read the book of Mark, you're going to find out that it has a lot of this Near Eastern culture all throughout the book of Mark. Not only that, when you think about the church fathers, Augustine, and these other uh, church fathers that we talk about, they were not white guys like me. They were from North Africa. And they were responsible for taking the gospel to a lot of the Western world. And so Christianity by no means is a Western religion at all. And so guys, as I, as I thought about this first kind of section, my, my question to you, my question to me is, are we allowing the gospel, the powerful message of the gospel, to have authority in our lives? To bear the weight that it's meant to bear? And to pierce our heart because we believe that the message of the gospel has, has power. I remember um, it was back in, in 2007 and I had just become a Christian maybe a year prior. And uh, I had never heard the gospel before. I grew up in a church that was very religious. And so I, I went to church three times a week. I was a good Southern Baptist uh, kid. And I uh, went to church three times a week. And I believed growing up that in order to be a Christian, you did these things, but you didn't do these things, right? And so I'm sure a lot of us... They've had a similar experience to that. And I was even, uh, I was even entering in this missions organization, and my response to Jesus was, man, I'm going I'm to be the most hardcore missionary you've ever seen. You know, send me anywhere, Lord. And then I got married, and uh, that obviously changed a little bit. And so um, I had someone else to think about and a family to think about. But after that, that first initial school in this mission organization, I was in the Bible school. And I remember sitting in the front row of this Bible school, and this teacher was beginning to teach on the book of Ephesians. And I never talked about, I never heard the gospel and grace. And he was teaching from Ephesians where it says that God has lavished his grace upon us. 
And he had this little illustration, and it may seem cheesy to you, but he took out this table, and he took out this big bowl of water. And uh, he said, you know, this is what we deserve. And he took like a little teaspoon, which we don't even deserve that, and he kind of dipped it out. And he said, this is what God has done. He took the bowl, and he just, boom, flipped it over, and water went everywhere. And something broke in my heart. I just began to weep. I never realized that the gospel was about grace. See, the gospel is a working word. It's a transforming word. And so Mark says that as he began to teach about this, the gospel, people were like, whoa, something is way different here. So number one, Christ's message has authority. But then this is what happened. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out. He said, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I think we just need to kind of take a step back and imagine what's going on here. Because this is uh, taking place in a town called Capernaum. And Capernaum was a town where Jews and Gentiles, they lived in, in, a, in peaceable relationships. And so there was many synagogues in Capernaum. And so if you can imagine, like you're in a, a very religious setting. Maybe you're in a, in a church somewhere, very similar to this setting. And, and you're listening to this guest preacher come in and preach. And then all of a sudden, you look over... And here's this guy that maybe taught your Sunday school, or you thought he was a really religious guy. Goes to church all the time, he has a Bible twice the size of mine, and he's listening. All of a sudden, this demon begins to manifest. I mean, I'm sure people were completely like, what just happened? The Pentecostals come in here this morning? Or what happened? And so Jesus begins to teach, this demon cries out. And I, I find it interesting that Mark says, as people's eyes were beginning to be open to the authority of Christ, it says this, people are beginning to be astonished. Satan begins to manifest in this man's life. And I thought, man, that is exactly what the enemy loves to do. A lot of times we think that the enemy comes around, he's masquerading, and he's, he's trying to, you know, to take us out, which he does. But it doesn't say that this man you know, went up to Jesus and tried to stab him in the belly. What he tried to do was just distract people from the power of God. He tried to distract them from hearing and from seeing what Jesus was actually saying. And many times in your life and my life, that is what the enemy wants to do. Just mere distraction. How can I distract you? How can I, how can I lead you away from being astonished at the power of God or distract you from spending more time with Jesus or being obedient to Jesus? And so what the enemy wants to do in this setting is he wants to put on a show. But Jesus, he doesn't let him do that. I like what Jesus does. He, he says this in verse 25. Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. That Jesus doesn't allow this, this demon to manifest in a way to put on a show to allow people to be afraid. And so Mark wants to tell, right, the persecuted church that he's writing to, that Jesus has clear authority over demons and over the power of evil. As Jesus was, was speaking here, the demon begins to cry out. And as he cries out, he says this to Jesus. He says in verse 24, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, theologians think that, you know, they might have said this for a number of reasons, but what happens in this culture is that they believe that if you knew the name of a God, like a spiritual deity, or if you knew the name of a certain God, that you had power over it. And so in their culture, they're like, well, if I know this name, it's kind of like rubbing the, the lamp of a genie bottle, then I have power over this God. And so these demons, or this demon, as it's crying out, is trying to do the same thing to Jesus. It's saying, listen, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Got you. I have power over you. 
And as people are listening, they might have that same reaction. But Jesus very clearly says, absolutely not. Be silent, come out of him, and the demon left right away. Jesus is showing that a lot of times when we think about spiritual warfare, we think about the conflict of Satan and God, we think that it's like a wrestling match. Like, like this match, they're kind of like at this table arm wrestling. And that's not the picture of the New Testament. The picture of the New Testament is that Jesus is clearly more powerful, clearly has way more authority than the evil one, than Satan. That Jesus is God. Satan is a created being. That there is no wrestling match, there's no kind of struggle there, that one day Satan will be defeated forever and ever and ever, that he will be destroyed. That Jesus is victorious. And what the enemy wants us to do is he manifests in this way, and he maybe talks about this kind of stuff in your life, is he wants you to be afraid. He just wants you to be afraid and be distracted. And what Jesus shows us is that in Christ, we don't need to be afraid because he has all authority. I remember, actually, uh, this happened several years ago. I was sitting in a worship time, like this morning, and this guy was preaching about Jesus and about, you know, the authority of Christ, and this person over here begins to manifest a demon. I mean, it happens. And I remember the guy that was speaking, it was amazing. What he did is he said, I want everybody just to remain calm. We have people over there that are going to pray for him, that are going to minister to this guy. But let's continue to focus. Let's continue to dig in. Let's continue to, to, to dive into what God is speaking to us this morning and not allow the enemy to distract us from what God is saying. See, that's what he wants to do. He just wants to distract you from being amazed at Jesus and being obedient to Jesus. As you look at this story, it says here in verse 23 that this man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. That I think about this guy, he's probably a guy that read the law, that tried to follow the law. And yet it shows that he was bound up, bound up by this unclean demonic spirit. If you look at Luke uh, chapter 4 verse 33, we know that the unclean spirit and demon are interchangeable. They're interchangeable, same thing. So we don't have time to kind of talk about demonology, but just for the sake of our story this afternoon, they're the same thing. And, and so as we read this, I think what's, what's clear to me is that... Um, I hope I can communicate this the right way. What's clear to me is that a lot of times we believe that when the enemy is attacking us or he's, or he's causing us harm, that he's coming at us with a pitchfork and with horns. That's not the picture that the New Testament gives us of Satan. The Bible calls him a liar. That one of the main ways that the enemy attacks you, the main ways that he gets us in bondage is through belief and lies about who God is and who we are in Christ. That's what he does. And so many times for you and I, spiritual warfare does not look like us, you know, down on the ground wrestling a demon and screaming and, you know, shouting his name. A lot of times spiritual warfare for you and I is simply saying no to those wrong beliefs and putting faith in the good news of the gospel about who God is and what he's done. A lot of times spiritual warfare with you and me, it's not going to look like us, you know, trying to figure out what kind of demon is this. It's going to look like you and I saying no to those distractions like, you know, media or entertainment or whatever else it is and saying yes to being obedient to Jesus. Like, that's spiritual warfare one-on-one for me. That's how the enemy attacks us, and that's how the enemy works. Now, we're going to see later on that there is real demonic oppression that begins to afflict people in a real serious way. But this afternoon, Mark is showing us that this is how the demon, the demon works. And so, just, just a couple of reminders, I think, for us is, number one, um, yeah, where are you being distracted? Be aware. You know, where, where, where is your attention being drawn away? From being obedient to Jesus, spending time with Jesus, you know, following after Him. Where are you being distracted? And I would encourage you that spiritual warfare looks like saying no to those things and saying yes to Jesus. 
And the second thing I think for us to consider from this specific passage is that Christ has clear authority over the demonic. That, and especially in this culture in Taiwan, there's a fear thing that tends to happen. That I, I have friends who are Taiwanese that when they believe in Jesus or they want to believe in Jesus, they're afraid because they believe that maybe the gods that they used to worship or supposed to worship were actually going to come back and, and get them and harm them. And, and, and you know what you can do is you can pour out your Bible. See, look what Jesus actually does to these demons. He commands, they obey. There's no fear. There's no power struggle. I mean, I, I remember uh, the first time, I, I see I played basketball in high school. I remember the first time I went to a gym and I played against a guy who was a D1 basketball player. I was in the gym, he's a little bit taller than me, and I'm by no means a college basketball player. But I remember he's a little bit taller than me, and I, and I, had, I was talking to my friends, and I was like, man, that's not a guy, don't worry about it like that. You know, he wasn't very, wasn't very much taller than me, he wasn't very much bigger than me. And I remember the first play, I got the ball in the post, and I go around, and I'm going to do this hook shot, and the guy's like two feet behind me, because I've been really on me very and I'm like, this is, a, this is nothing. And I go back, and I don't even know where the ball went. The guy like grabbed it, slammed it off the backboard, you know, and went the other way. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, he was just kind of playing around with me. But in a moment, it's like the dude could just completely shut me down. And guys, it's the same way, like for Jesus, there will be a day when he completely shuts down the power of evil and any authority that the devil has right now is loaned and borrowed authority. It is not authority that is above and over Christ. It is authority that he has for a time and it will be over and he will be destroyed. And Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God coming is the beginning of that time. And so we know that it's not a wrestling match. Jesus has authority over the demonic. Finally, it says this, it says, they were all amazed and so they began to ask each other, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire city of Galilee. And in verse 29, it says this, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and so they told him about her at once. So it says that Jesus healed her. And then verse 32, I think this is interesting, verse 32, When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. And the whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. Okay, so we know that Jesus is teaching at the synagogue on the Sabbath. And so as Jesus is teaching and, and things are happening, people hear what happened in the synagogue. It's like, that, that's the guy that, you know, babysat my kids, and he had a demon inside of him. And Jesus spoke, and he got set free, and people were like, what in the world is happening? This is... This is a very religious town, okay? It's not like this is in the Roman, you know, in Rome. This is in Capernaum, in a synagogue. It's a very religious environment. So people are astonished at what is happening. And Mark says this. He says that when evening came, all these people began to bring the sick. And I think it's pretty funny because if you, uh, if you look at the law, that there are these laws about certain things you can and cannot do on the Sabbath, okay? And then what the, what the rabbis would say is that on the evening of the Sabbath, when three stars came out in the sky, Sabbath was over. So the picture that Mark is giving is that there is this buzz in the air. And all these people are like waiting in their houses, and they're looking at the sky. And they're a little bit afraid, because they're like, I'm afraid to go out and do something on the Sabbath that I'm not supposed to do, because I'm kind of still afraid of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. But man, I really want to see Jesus, and I know that he's at Peter's mother-in-law's house, and I have, the, I have my daughter that I just want, I just, I just want Jesus to touch her. I mean, if this guy had a demon, maybe I have a demon. I don't know. I just want Jesus to talk to me. And so there's this buzz and there's this tension. And then those three stars pop out in the sky and they're like, 
boom, and they make a race, and they run. And people are dragging people along just to see Jesus, and the whole town goes to Jesus. And Mark, the way that Mark describes it, is he describes it in a way that case after case after case after case comes to the door of Peter, mother-in-law's house. And they just like, I want to see him. Would, 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 he, would he just talk to me? Would he, would he touch me? Would he, would he speak the powerful message of the gospel to me? I, I just want to know him. I want to be near him. I want, whatever happened to that guy, I want the same thing. It says that Jesus healed many and released many who were bound up by demonic possession. I thought, you know, there, there, is a, there is a place for us to talk about healing in the New Testament. In fact, when you look at the book of Mark, like I said last week, there are over 21 miracles in the book of Mark. But instead of me t- talking about healing and teaching about healing, which we'll have time to do at another time, uh, I thought about just having a testimony for you guys about healing. Um, because there was something that happened this past week, and I was like, man, it's a great opportunity to share what God is even doing in our midst. And so I've asked Heather Cottle to come really briefly and share about um, just the testimony of Christ's authority over our physical bodies. Hi, I'm here because, um, honestly, because Christina is watching your kids right now, and so this is part of her story too, so it's kind of cool that I, I get this opportunity. Um, so on Wednesday we were having a gathering, some of us, and we were actually going to be discussing the kingdom of God um, soon after we first came into the house to meet together. Um, and I feel like I, even as I prayed about how I should share this, I felt like I should tell, share it with you guys. It was kind of just a funky week for me. I've been in some vulnerable situations with different people, and I just, I was wrestling with some things with the Lord. I was really seeking Him. He was good. He was speaking to me. But honestly, if I'm really honest about where I was, I kind of just felt like I was in a funk. So I walked up the stairs and I was about to meet with these group of people and I saw Christina, the one who took the kids up today, her watching some of your children, and she looked awful. Her eyes were heavy, she had a mask on, she kept doing this little cough and I was like, hey Christina, how are you? And she's like, you know, I just, she was having a hard time swallowing and she kind of brought her mask down to tell me how bad she felt and it was obvious how bad she felt. and so. I felt this little nudge from the Lord to pray for her. And I was like, oh, hey, we should really pray for you tonight. You know, just that easy thing. Like, maybe when we get together in groups, we'll pray for you. And as I kept talking to her, she just almost seemed like she was getting worse. Like, she felt worse as she was talking to me. Like, she was about to fall asleep. Dana was there. Yeah, right? She looked horrible. She probably loved me if she heard I called her. I told her that she looked horrible, like, four times. But um, anyways, um, she looked really bad. Yeah, see, it's more testimonies. Um, anyways, and so I really felt this nudge from the Lord to pray for. And so I called Katie over, my oldest daughter, um, and I said, hey, Katie, why don't we just pray for Christina? Um, and it was, kids are coming in, it was loud, the house was buzzing, we always eat first, so it wasn't like we had an organized time to pray for her. We just stopped in that moment, because she seemed so sick, and um, we just stopped and prayed for her. Um, said amen. I could tell you how the prayer went, went, but believe me, it was just really prompted by the Lord. Um, and so after that, we ate. Christina still looked horrible. Um, and then we sat, <laughs> is laughing. we sat and we started talking about the kingdom of God and what does the kingdom of God look like here? What do we think that looks like here? And different people are sharing. And then, and then we took a time to break up into groups. And I happened to be in the same group with Christina. There was four of us. And she looked at me and she goes, Heather, 
I'm 90% better. She's like, I couldn't swallow at all when we walked in the door. And now I can swallow with no pain. And so as we began to talk, we were like, you know, there's this excitement. And there's also this thought, like, maybe you just weren't really that sick. Um, you know, but there was just this excitement. All of a sudden, you could just see in her face, there was this energy back, and there was this life back. And so Katie was in our group, and so I was like, let's go for 100%. Let's just go for 100%. Like, God is so good. Like, let's just ask for all of it. And so we just stopped in that moment, and we prayed again. And we just prayed for 100% healing. And Christina laughed that. I mean, she left that night, like, laughing at how good God is. And for me, I was just so aware of God is good, and he's in control. He's in control, and he's good. And um, anyways, and so I, the next day I saw her in the street, and there was kind of this fear over me, like, oh, maybe I should go home and keep praying because, like, who's going to fly the plane kind of thing? Like, if I don't keep praying, like, is she going to remain healthy? Um, and I saw her the next day on the street, and I looked at her. I was like, are you still good? You know, she's like, yeah, I'm still good. I'm still healthy. And so it's just such an exciting time to see God work in only the ways that he can. So there you go. Thank you. So. so that's a clear example what a good testimony. Something so small. And as you see Jesus moving here throughout the, the scripture, it says that he was at Peter's uh, mother-in-law's house, and it's like they said that she had a fever, and he just goes and he prays for her, and he heals her fever. Something so small. Like, he just had this demonic guy, released it, but then he moves, and he's like, oh, you have a fever? And yeah, we pray for her. And so something that I think is important for us to know, important for me to know, is that what Jesus is doing in the book of Mark is he's not just showing us his authority, his power, that he's the son of God, but he's also modeling a lifestyle for you and me as disciples of Jesus. And when I thought about authority, and I thought about even Jesus' life as we think about authority, I think about how to have authority to do something or to speak about something, it's almost like you have to have moral authority. You know, like, you have to have moral authority to, to speak on something, or, or maybe have relational authority with someone to, to do something or to speak on something. And as we look at Jesus, Jesus has both of those. Jesus is the perfect, sinless Son of God. So any issue that's ever been brought up, every, every topic, Jesus has authority to speak the truth on those things because he's the perfect, sinless Son of God. He has relational authority. He is the Son of God, fully God, fully man. And yet when I think about you and I as disciples of Jesus, we have neither of those. We don't have moral authority. You and I are sinners, separated from Christ. Every single day, I prove that point over and over again. You and I don't have relational authority because apart from Christ, we're separated from God. And yet what's cool about Mark and the beauty of the gospel is, is that if you, as you watch Mark describe Jesus, what you're going to see is that Jesus allows his disciples to do certain things in the first couple of chapters. It's like they do kind of like crowd control and he divvies out some responsibilities. But in chapter 6, verse 7, up to that point, Jesus does every single thing. Chapter 6, verse 7, it says this. Now Jesus sends out the disciples, and it says this, that he said he summoned them, he sent them out in pairs, and he gave them authority. The same authority that is mentioned in chapter 1. And so even though you and I don't have moral authority, even though we don't have spiritual authority, the beauty and the good news of the gospel is that Jesus takes everything that's his, and he gives it to you, and he gives it to me. He says, go in my name and make disciples, and heal the sick. And so as you look at the book of Mark, Jesus isn't just displaying his power, but he's also modeling a lifestyle. 
He's also modeling a lifestyle for us. And for me, man, when I think about this kind of first part of the book of Mark, I struggle because I tend to be a person that just loves to get out there and I want to do it. Like, I just want to go and I want to do it. And yet Jesus shows us is that he has these disciples, but he is modeling for them very clearly what this looks like. And he doesn't give them authority right away. I mean, I can imagine it would be a disaster if he did that. It's a disaster when he does later on. But he waits. And that's part of discipleship, you guys. Like, there's a season of waiting for you and me. That if you want to be a leader and you want to lead out, there's a season where we just wait and we watch. And then there's this place where we begin to be sent out as we've watched. And that's what Jesus shows us, that he's modeling a lifestyle for you and for me. And so finally, I thought about, you know, as Jesus is speaking to us, it's very clear that Mark shows us that his message has authority. And so where are you and I allowing the message of the gospel to have authority in our lives? Do we believe that? Number two, it's, it's clear that Jesus has authority over the demonic and over uh, evil and over Satan. And so what does spiritual warfare look like for you and me? A lot of times it looks like just saying no to unbelief, no to lies that we believe, no to distraction, and saying yes to Jesus and believing in the gospel. Finally, it says here that he has authority to heal. Even something as small as just a fever. And yet, as I was preparing this message, there's just this weight, I think even for me, to talk to some of you who have ex experienced this kind of healing. Because I, because I know, man, we talk about Jesus can heal and we can share a testimony, even if something small as a sore throat, and he does, but then there are some of you in this room who probably have been crying out for something way more serious than that. And you just haven't received it. And so this week, the Lord, in my personal prayer time, He led me to Psalm chapter 13. And this is going to be where we close. Psalm chapter 13, it says this, How long, I want you to listen to this, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me an answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance, and I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. I just want to say to you guys who have experienced suffering and not the healing of God, that the Bible declares that that struggle does not mean that God is angry at you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. The New Testament, Paul says that he pleaded with God three times that he would be delivered from this spiritual attack on his life, whatever it was. And so that there is a place for you and I to plead with God. God doesn't rebuke Paul for doing that. But there's a place that you and I can plead for deliverance and for healing. And yet I would just encourage you that the good news of the gospel shows us that I don't know why he hasn't healed you. I don't know why he hasn't delivered you. I don't, I don't know those answers. But I do know that the gospel shows us that he's for you. He is for you. That if you look at God and he takes this perfect sinless son of God, he puts him on a cross for you. The perfect innocent son of God, the son of God puts him on a cross, lets him bleed out for you, die for you. Not only that, but take the wrath of God upon himself for you. Man, there's something hard that says, okay, I don't know why, but I know that he's for me. So I want you to hear that, that even in the midst of your struggle, God is, is for you. And sometimes God uses pain and suffering in our life to bring about better things and better fruit than just a healing. I remember there was a, 
there was a there was a time when my my older son Hudson broke his arm, and I remember taking him to the emergency room. And he's a tough kid, <laughs> but in order to get the, like the X-ray and the and the arm set, they have to move it all around, right? And he broke like everything. Like he had had him cast up to his shoulder, and there was this like in his eyes, I could see there's so much pain, right? And as a dad, you know, you want to stop it. You want to stop it. Please stop it. But you know if you stop it, there actually can't be healing to take place. And that's what God does in our lives sometimes. Is you and I, we ask for immediate healing. But God is saying, I have something way better planned for you if you'll just trust me. If you'll just trust me. And so we're going to, we're actually going to have a time where we can respond. Um, as they, as uh, Jason and Patty come and lead us in a song. We're going to respond in a couple ways. But um, I, I want to share with you just something. We've, I don't think I've done this before, but I want to share with you a dream I had last night. And just, it's going to be kind of random, but I, I, I feel like the Lord wants me to share it because it, it's applicable, I think, to what we're going through. Is last night I had a dream, and there was these, yeah, there was these three or four people that were sitting right here in, in front of me, and uh, they started describing all of these. It's going to sound kind of kind of weird, but food allergies that they have, and that's very applicable to my family. So I, I, I can I can feel it. But there was very like a is an emotional thing that these people were describing. That they felt bound by it. They felt fearful by it, that there were these allergies that were crippling them. And the, I feel like the Lord was saying in that moment, it, it wasn't that I went and prayed for these people and that there was healing, but the message was that His grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient. That you are not alone. That you are not helpless in your suffering. But that Jesus, the one who has all authority on heaven and on earth, is for you. Even in the midst of your suffering. So as we respond, you guys, I want, I want to be able to pray for people this morning like that. That if you do have those kind of allergies, well, why not? The Lord of glory is here. We just heard a testament of healing. Maybe today is the day that he does that. Or maybe if you have other things, and maybe you feel like you've been bound up by lies. Let's pray. Let's preach the good news of the gospel that you would be delivered and set free to live the life that God has called you to live. So that's what we're going to do. So let's stand together. We're going to begin by uh, Rich leading us in communion. So Rich is going to lead us in communion. And then as he calls us to take communion, there are people that are going to be right here, over here, three or four people that are here that would love to pray with you and for you. And you know what? We're the body. So if you just want to find someone to pray for you, just go find someone to pray for you as well. It doesn't have to be us. 